I mean, I was born and raised in Mumbai, but if I'm going to a village, I'm also considered an outsider in a way, because it's like, oh, you know, here's here's a city right. girl who's come in here. So there is, it's that perception of how you're um, sort of perceived, whether you're an outsider or not, is so dependent on who's seeing you. Welcome to the History Studio Podcast. I'm Jim Downs. Today, I talked to Munjari Makajani, the writer and director of the Netflix film Skater Girl, which is about a teenage girl who challenges the customs of her rural village in India when she's introduced to skateboarding. The film was released worldwide on Netflix and ranked in the top 10 on all Netflix. Makajani's newest release, Spin, was just released last week and is the first Disney Channel original movie with an Indian-American lead. First of all, like, so thrilled to have you, so excited to talk to you, and we are definitely going to talk about Skater Girl, which is an amazing, uplifting, brilliant film, and so subtle. Like, the nuances in that film are so beautifully and deftly executed. But before I even get to that, I just want to talk a little bit more about you and about how you think about film, because this is about storytelling. And you were raised in Mumbai. Your dad is an actor for Bollywood. What was film like growing up for you as a kid? So I, I mean, I come from a film family, but I had no idea that, you know, my dad was famous or, or that he was, uh, uh, you know, doing something that that was that was different uh, because we would we would go out with him and he would get mobbed on the streets and <laughs> and I thought that was that was kind of normal for you know a lot of my friends' dads as well so it was <laughs> it was not <laughs> until one of you know the open houses days where you get your results where somebody came and said oh your dad comes on TV and I was like yeah doesn't your dad <laughs> and of so course funny. you know. I was I was really young at the time, and and that was sort of the first sort of brush of understanding that oh you know this is this is what is uh, this is different, and you know he's in, he comes in films, but we never really visited film sets or or sort of um, uh, you know didn't hang around on film sets. It was sort of brought up in a protected environment, but uh, but watching films was was quite a thing. We would go to the theaters very often and come back and discuss stories as a family and talk about, you know, sort of certain scenes or what sort of impacted us from that story. And those were the conversations we would have. We would watch a lot of stage plays and uh, very often go to the theaters. Right. Right. So what what was the trigger for you that inspired you to go into film? It was theater, in fact. It was really sort of watching a stage play as a kid and, and just watching how that stage would transform into a whole different world. And it was like, oh, here's an empty stage. And now suddenly you're in this make-believe world right. and, you know, you're on a, on a journey. And I think that was sort of my first fascination with storytelling. Right. And that sort of naturally progressed towards um, uh, uh, filmmaking and, you know, watching movies and then coming back home, discussing them. It's like, oh, you know, I watched this film and this is I felt like this would have been great if this would have happened or how amazing was that? So it, it was it was sort of a very natural progression towards understanding of, wait a second, I, I like telling stories and I want to be able to 
uh, sort of uh, move audiences and take them into this make-believe world, kind of like blending in what first fascinated me. So we're, so at university, you were studying film. You seemed to have like very classical training. You knew noir stuff. You knew the French stuff. You knew the, some, some of the American classics. What was your, what was your major in college or what, did, what was your subject? So this was part of a subject called understanding cinema is where okay. we sort of really, you know, literally understood cinema. And we went right from watching these classics to watching some of these um, uh, sort of contemporary films that were happening at the time. But uh, I graduated in advertising. So my film school was pretty much on set. I learned everything on set. And Amazing. that's where I learned the craft. It was not until sort of doing a few short films, assisting for a few years, that I came uh, to America in 2014 and then did a screenwriting course at UCLA and then did the AFI directing workshop for women. So it Got was it. kind of Got like it. a reverse. Uh, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. So tell us a little bit about that experience. Like, so you get to UCLA, you write a screen, you're in a screenwriting class. What were you working on? What were you thinking about in terms of projects? So uh, at the at the UCLA professional screenwriting program, we had to write two scripts and uh, literally, you know, I had this idea about, um, when I, when I, when I came, came, when I came to the U S, um, I was at the airport and I met this, met this person from the village who was traveling for the first time and he was going to the middle East and he was a fish out of water. And I was like, I need to help this guy. Cause he obviously doesn't know where to put his bag and how to sort of go through the security check. And I helped him. And in the process, I learned that this was a, guy who was going leaving his village life and had hardly like I want to say 10 12 dollars in his pocket and he was going to the Middle East and he had no idea he was getting in trapped into modern day slavery and that was sort of just stayed with me wow. and when I did the UCLA program I was like that is a story that I need to tell and right. so yeah so I wrote that story uh at UCLA that motif of the fish out of water it's present within skater girl too is that just for you as a writer was that a purposeful narrative strategy as you went into this yeah yeah it was important to sort of you know have uh i mean skater girl is about this girl who's coming of age through skateboarding but it's also a story about different women from different walks of life and how they are connecting with each other relating with each other and they find more similarities than differences, you know. So you have you have an uh, a British Indian who's coming back to the village to find her roots. And sometimes when I'm, I mean, I was born and raised in Mumbai, but if I'm going to a village, I'm also considered an outsider in a way because it's like, oh, you know, here's here's a city right. girl who's coming here. So there is it's that perception of how you're um, sort of perceived, whether you're an outsider or not, is so dependent on who's seeing you, and that that was important to sort of bring in that it's like all right here is somebody who's seen skateboarding outside and she's going to be the one to introduce this catalyst to this to this uh, to this village that already has makeshift skateboards so right. it was important to have that character kind of you know um uh, go through this almost self discovery in a way right, and finding right. her roots whilst at the same time helping this girl prerna also discover herself through skateboarding. What is the film? How did you get into it? Why did you do it? It's for people who haven't seen it yet. And by the way, 
it's number one on Netflix. If I pause on my television and I had Netflix on, it's it's a screensaver. Like it's doing extraordinarily well. I I called my my mother to tell to tell her because she's watching my niece who's going into fifth grade, and I was like, you have to watch this film this weekend. Like it is so good. It's like such a great story. So how how oh, did you get you. into it? Yeah, yeah. How did you how did you do it? How did you get into it? Like why? So I, I, I stumbled upon the skate scene in India. I had no idea that skateboarding was a thing that was thriving in India. And uh, I think it was 2017 where I stumbled upon, you know, this uh, skateboarding movement that was taking place in India. And one sort of thing led to another. I discovered a, a village in Madhya Pradesh where, you know, skateboarding was impacting this community in a beautiful way. And then that led to finding another sort of fishing community in South India called Kovalam, where these amazing sort of, they have a little skate park right outside their school. It's almost like connected to their school and they have no school, no skateboarding in Kovalam. And that was creating an amazing impact. And, you know, these girls from the fishing community were coming and skating there, just beautiful stories. Their real life stories were so fascinating. And then there were these little skate pockets and skate parks and skate uh, communities that I discovered throughout India. I was like, oh, wow, here's here in Madhya Pradesh, in Delhi, Bombay, Bangalore, you know, South India. And uh, I was just blown away that how something like skateboarding was breaking through so many barriers. And, you know, in school, we would study, oh, what are the ways to sort of you know, uh, 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 promote education or what are the ways to sort of get out of the, uh, and these were things that were breaking those barriers. So it really sort of that inspired me to know that, wait a second, something as unconventional and this thing that's considered a Western sport, considered a thing for boys, was breaking down the barriers uh, in a very unique way. I was like, this is, this is, this is going to be a very interesting story. So that led to a long research and we decided we're going to make Rajasthan's first skate park and sort of replicate that model and social impact. And we went ahead, took this ginormous task of constructing a massive skate park in the middle of nowhere in this village. But after a lot of research and finding where would be the best place to impact the local kids, we made the skate park in Rajasthan and hundreds of kids flocked to it, learned skateboarding really took to it naturally. And we were witnessing that impact firsthand in front of us. And then we went, wrote a story. And then of course, you know, we put the film together. Right. So how did you, how did you, cause that was the first thing, like when they start building the skate park, I start thinking, is this real? And at the end of the film, there's this amazing note that it took 45 days to actually build it. So in the film, it's funded by uh, a, a sort of wealthy woman um, within the village. Um, how did you guys get the money to do it? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, the the the, the whole film. I mean, it was it was done through private equity, and you know, we raised finance, did it in an independent way, and the skate park component was a lot of it was our own personal endeavor and oh our God. sort of family getting behind it, and and you know, it's really hard to do it sort of in conjunction with the government and waiting for those things. I mean, in the film, of course, it's a it's a it's a fictional story. But, uh, you know, we had, <laughs> we, we did it ourselves. I mean, we literally bought a piece of land, put together a team wow. and did a DIY style and made the skate park. And uh, in, the, in the film, it's different, of course, because in the film, the, right. queen, the queen sanctions the land and, you know, 
Jessica's character goes on and makes it. But a lot of Jessica's sort of struggles in the film were inspired by my sister and and our sort of efforts and struggles making the skate park. Right. No, I just thought that was amazing. So wait, did you build the skate park before you wrote the script? Yeah, it was happening tandem. So the time we were researching and we were writing the script, we were building the skate park. And as we were building the skate park, the stories and incidents that were happening at the construction site or, you know, as the kids were learning, were making its way into the script. No, I mean, that part, I mean, that part is just so, that's so, that's so amazing. Um, So let's, let's talk about just how you created the sort of narrative structure for the film, because one of the, the villain in the film on some way, or the antagonist to put it in much more mild terms, um, (laughs) is her father in a lot of ways. So can you talk, talk a little bit about that? So, yeah, I mean, you know, we we realized that um, a lot of the girls were having a hard time to come to the skate park uh, that, that, you know, in the village. And there was there was this uh, shepherd girl who whose father threatened to burn her alive if she was going to step on a skateboard. I mean, it was it was really quite dramatic. And um and a lot of the other girls' parents also were like, oh, you know, if, if she breaks her bones, who's going to marry her and what's going to happen? And this is, you know, and girls, they get married really early in the village. And it's really different. You know, the way I was brought up in Mumbai, our lives are completely different. And then you go to a remote village, the life of a girl, you know, that same age is completely different. So there's a big, there's a, there's right in the same country, there's a big sort of cultural difference right there. And, uh, and those things were fascinating. It's like, wow, the guy, the father doesn't think the same for his son because the boys flock to the skate park and they skate, no problem. But for the girls, it's like, oh, wait a second, who's going to marry her? How is she going to do the housework? Or how is, you know, uh, uh, so there, there were many more barriers for her. So it was a very natural sort of uh, representation of what we were seeing. And uh, the father being sort of, no, wait a second, this is this is not what she can, this is not, uh, this isn't allowed. Right. And so let me just stick with that one piece where you said um, that one father threatened to burn her alive. Is that part of the reason why you have that scene where the father burns the skateboard? Or is that is that playing yeah. into, or, is that, or am I reading into it? Um, no, no, you're absolutely right. Because we obviously didn't want to go, you know, because sometimes real life is a bit more dramatic and then you see it on screen, you're like, oh yeah, right. That's just went yeah. a bit too far. So we just had him burn the skateboard instead of, you know, uh, what happened in real life. Right. And then what about the mother? Because I thought, again, like, this is where I think the film is so brilliant. It's so subtle and what you did with the mother there was we learn more about the mother through the conflict of the or or through Prenna's sort of decision to break free from her wedding day and actually skate but we also learn that she's part she was obviously part of an arranged marriage and that she has this kind of you know tension with 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 the father i was wondering if you maybe talk a little bit more about the mother there because you did say in the opening in your opening remarks this is a story about all of these women and how they're how they're connected yeah so you know uh so how do i put this in like a in in the right way is don't put it in the right way (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, one of the reasons we chose Rajasthan was because it's a very male-dominated state. And uh, not just in the villages, but also up to the, like, sort of the royal family, it's, uh, it's the men who make all the big decisions. And, uh, and we, have, we have families there that we know, like family friends, where the women are really well-educated, they're smart, but when it comes to sort of decision-making power, they lean on to the men. And, right. and I come from a very different family where we're more matriarchal and, and it's more liberal, you know, and uh, it's sort of really there's a sense of equality when you're making decisions as a family. But it was very important to represent that, that we saw sort of, you know, what's what's very natural in, in Rajasthan is that here's a woman who clearly knows what's the right thing to do, but she's not empowered to do it or make the decisions. You know, and there's a moment, there's a moment in the film where, right. where uh, the parents are watching her skate and that's when she holds her husband's hand and doesn't let him go forward. And like that, that is a big step for her because she's right. sort of, you know, right. uh, uh, being proactive and, and being the active person saying, no, not now. No. So that was, so, th- so that was important. Sort of this, this uh, Prerna's mother has her own struggle and her own sort of, uh, uh, struggles she's dealing with, but when she's given that moment, she does make that make that step. Right. So, how realistic what was that? Like, do you think? Like, I mean, I understand the fictional part of you let the mother kind of stop the father, but again, that was a moment I thought would he have just pushed her away or or not? I mean, you know, it it could it could go both ways. I mean that that is a moment. That's why sort of it sort of hinges on the on the uh, on those blurry lines of what could happen or what you know wouldn't have happened but right. um, that's very believable that at that moment that you know her character holds his hand because she doesn't want to uh, embarrass her daughter in front of everybody especially the queen there was a moment when one of the boys really notorious boys on the skate park was uh, was skating and and his mother literally came storming into the skate park with a brick in her hand to like threaten her son to be like this is not what you're going to do and she didn't care about who was watching or who was you know and this was while we were filming so right so it was it was crazy and I mean we were making a documentary concurrently just to sort of see the impact of skateboarding in that village and how sort of the skate movement has right transformed so many lives but but a lot of fascinating stories which were like kind of eye-opening for us Right. So, so let's talk about that a little bit too. the documentary. When did the decision, when did you make the decision as a creative to say, okay, we're now also going to do a documentary? Was it because the fiction couldn't capture everything or was there some other value in the documentary uh, as a genre decision? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the moment we decided that we're going to make a skate park, we decided that we are going to have a concurrent documentary running because we knew the impact of this is there's just so much to cover that you cannot cover it, you know, in a 90 minute film. And we wanted to, we wanted to encapsulate all of these real stories, which were just brilliant on how exactly what inspired me to make the story skate ago is what inspired this documentary was like, wow, here is, here are these lives that completely take a different course because of one small step. And just through the, the introduction of skateboarding, we follow the journeys of these kids and, and, and sort of what they're going through and, and where they've achieved. I mean, four of them just represented national skateboarding championships and they wow. were state, state jerseys for Rajasthan and, you know, took part uh, in the national contest. 
That's awesome. So where where are you at the document? Is it's not out? Is it out yet? It's no, not it's out. not oh, out. Right, we're right, still right. we're still sort of tracking, you know, uh, what what they're doing and sort of the progress. So I think it might be next year sometime. Right. Okay. Okay. That's cool. So let's let's just go back to the film a little bit more. And one of the things I think is really amazing about it is that it's telling so many different stories besides just the story of Skater Girl. It's also yeah. telling a really poignant story about poverty. In watching the film, again, I thought you were so smart in how you did it because one of the facts that I know from being like a women's studies major uh, and, and gender studies analysis like throughout my career was that I always remember scholars saying things like, most women throughout the world spend most of their day gathering water. And you have this scene where Prenna is like gathering water, which really emphasizes the poverty aspect and really shows the real life on the ground idea of what poverty was without being pornographic, without being sensationalistic. And I was wondering if like how much of that was part of your mindset, how much of that was purposeful, what were you thinking about that? So a lot of those things were, you know, sort of put in there, whether it's the the, the water scarcity, the filling the water, even the teacher who's teaching in the classroom, he's uh, the sub the, the topic is water scarcity and right. what happened. That's right, right, right. So, right. so, there, so there were these really subtle, subtle things of, you know, planting them in, whether it's also period shaming. Because that's a big thing, and you know, you, uh, girls aren't allowed to enter the temple temples when they're uh, uh, menstruating, and so all of these little things we try to put in, in sort of a very non-judgmental kind of. We didn't want to uh, sort of really be on the nose about yeah. it. So it really does weave throughout the throughout yeah. the film. Yeah. And and it was like you said, we didn't want to be like, oh, here's here's poor India. Look at you know. The poverty. This is just a backdrop for them. This is the way of life, right. and it's it's simple, and it's uh, it's just how things are. And it was very important to present that objective perspective of like, wait, here's this lifestyle. This is how it is. But the story is about this girl coming of age. The story is about these women finding, you know, who they are and and uh, and how they sort of connect with each other through these situations and challenges. Right. So let me ask you this. And this is, uh, have people been picking up on those subtleties? I mean, I know one of the works of something that sort of the hallmarks of something that's referred to as brilliant is that you can watch it once and be like, well, this is a cute, uplifting story. And then you can watch it two and three and four more times. And you're picking up these subtleties. That's why, like, for me, I thought this is not just a film about kids. This is not like the Disney version of a skateboard. <laughs> this is so rich. Um, the water in the textbook, the carrying of the water, the water scarcity. I mean, so carefully done and so beautifully done. So have 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 people been catching that as part of the uh, as part of the reception of the film? Yeah, yeah, people have definitely, you know, sort of been uh, noticing that and observing that, especially there were a few things that I thought, you know, maybe only Indians will pick up and, and do it. But clearly, people across the board pick it up and catch on to those sort of subtle nuances and, and the subtleties of it, which is amazing. On the other hand, it also gets some criticism because people are like, oh, you've touched upon this big subject without doing justice to it. And, right. you know, really fleshing out like how hard the discrimination is or how hard that is. 
and uh, and 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 you know I just feel this this is this film is not about that. It has exactly. that in the back. It has that in the backdrop, and it is very much a way of life. But it is not about a girl sort of fighting her uh, uh, place as uh, you know with with. Uh, um, She's not fighting her place in society of like being upper caste or lower caste. She's she has another struggle. She's sort of uh, you know working with right. And she's also. I mean, also, I just think that your decision to do a documentary, a companion documentary, is a way to say, as a documentary, this is nonfiction. This is trying to capture a different kind of story. You do get lots of license and poetic, you know, space in the film, you know, to do the kind of things that you're doing. And also the actors are just fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, they're amazing. Let's also talk about Spin, which is dropping this month in, in August. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Because you have so many different projects, so much going on. I want to be able to at least try to highlight all of the amazing, brilliant stuff you're doing. Well, thank you. I mean, Spin Spin is Spin is an amazing uh, uh, project because it's you know Disney Channel's first Indian American protagonist story. So when I read it, I was so excited to be like, oh, I want to be the person to tell the story and, you know, bring together that authentic fusion world of the Indian American experience. And uh, and yeah, it's it's a story about Rhea who comes of age through music and how she discovers, you know, uh, her true passion. And, and she does it by creating beats and, and music that uh, sort of she draws from her Indian American experience and makes this amazing eclectic music in the film. That's very cool. So like there's a big push right now to be more inclusive, to make sure that we have more diverse stories. So can you talk a little bit more about how you're thinking about it? Cause you just said that you heard Disney was doing it. How did you get to be the person to, to do it and, and why? It was really, I feel luck by chance because I finished post-production on Skater Girl and you know, my agent sent me a bunch of scripts and at the time I had no idea it was, it was uh, uh, a project at Disney and uh, that it was even the first Indian American project. I just read the project. I read the script and I was like, wow, this is a really fresh contemporary take. I resonate with it. And, and I see a, like, I pretty much saw the film when I read the script and then, uh, yeah, went in and presented my take to the studio and, and, and they got behind it. And within no time we were, we were in pre-production. Right. That's amazing. So there is something, and, and you've talked about this in other media outlets, and um, there is something about the role of women as directors. Uh, and there's obviously been very valid, justified criticism over the, the, the dearth of women who are actually directing, especially women of color. W- what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, you know, like yesterday somebody asked me as well, it's like, why do you think there aren't enough female filmmakers. And and I wish I had an answer to that because when I decided I wanted to be a filmmaker, I didn't think about male or female. I was just like, oh, I'm going to be able to do it. I can see all these people do it. And, you know, gender didn't come into the equation. It was only when you get out there and you start sort of 
taking your work out there, you realize that there are more rejections than sort of offers your way. And I think it leads, it comes down to having an unconscious bias. And uh, many people don't even realize that they ha- they have that. And I think it now now times are changing where people in leadership positions are taking inclusivity, uh, are being inclusive, and they're taking diversity more seriously. And uh, and you know you have projects like Spin Happen that that is uh, that is that is pretty unconventional for for how you know you have an Indian American lead and you have uh, an Indian filmmaker telling the story. So, so hopefully that narrative is changing. And so have you been mentored at all by any women directors? I know you worked with Patty Jenkins on Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, she, she was definitely very encouraging. Uh, she, she's the one who pushed me to do the AFI directing workshop for women. And, okay. Uh, it was it was really amazing, but I worked with her very briefly. But I'd say no, there hasn't been sort of a real mentor who sort of nurtured me through this whole process in in that sense. Um, and and I and I in fact, Patty Jenkins was the first female director I ever worked worked with. So uh, everybody else that I assisted was were all were all men. Right, right, got it. Okay, um, and so. What else what what else do you have in the works? I mean, you have a lot now, but is there anything like that you could share with us that's like in the embryonic stage or ideas that you have that you want to see um get made? I mean, speaking about just female filmmakers, I wanna uh do a limited series with all female filmmakers and 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 produce it as well. So oh, that's wow. something hopefully we come out with because you know, there's so much of this I hear. I mean, even even in Skater Girl, the one the the legendary actress Wahida Rahman, who plays the queen, she's worked for you know over like 50, 60 years in the industry, and I was the first female filmmaker she worked with, and that just that just blew me away. I was like, I don't understand, you know, that how. I mean, of course, I was honored, but it's also, you know, about time that there are, of course, there are female filmmakers out there, but the numbers are so tiny in comparison right, right. to the male male counterparts. So yeah, so hopefully. Uh, we can do something about it, and and maybe this other thing that I'm working on is is gonna is gonna be that thing. Is there a difference between say film um, female female filmmakers in the U.S. versus in India? Are you seeing a rising number of of uh, of women coming out of India that are doing this work? There are a lot of female filmmakers in India who are who are making some great content and uh, there are so many more with the OTT platforms, you know, they get that the it's uh, it, for the decision makers. It's, it's easier to say that yes, cause they're not worried about the risk at the box office, but even the ones who are, you know, at the box office, you can see that films made by women are, make money. So those things and those decisions are also changing. So it's definitely an exciting time. And then of course there are a lot of uh, Indian filmmakers here as well who are, uh, you know, who are making American films. So got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. So just our, our, our final question that we ask all of our guests is, and, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but what stories do you think need to be told? I think uh, what story do you think you would want to tell? Ooh, um, I personally gravitate towards human stories. I mean, uh, I don't like to be you know, pigeonhole where it's like, oh, I'm only making coming of age stories or just stories for the YA audience. I mean, my short film was a, an action thriller. So of I course, love the space of, of drama, comedy and action. And I love stories where 
you know, it's the it's the human triumph, and it's all about the character and their journey, and and sort of that um, that ordinary person being put into an extraordinary situation, whether it's comedy or it's drama or it's action. So those are those are the kind of stories that I love. Thank you so much for being with us today. It was an absolute treat. Oh, thank you, Jim. It was such so, so lovely to talk to you, and and thank you for all the insight and all the awesome things, uh, and, <laughs> and 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 watching Skater Girl and loving it. It's really really been amazing. Of course, of course. Our showrunner is Caitlin Parker. Our producer is Eli Simon. Our researchers are Jackson Bestrong and Sydney Lamb. Podcast music is by Alex Plappinger. On behalf of everyone at History Studio, I'm Jim Downs. Thanks for listening. <laughs>